What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hard Work Beats Talent, where we aim to draw upon the insights of our inner circle in order to help our listeners make more informed decisions about their careers and life journey. I'm Nikita, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Alex. It's good, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Um, before we get into it, um, can we please ask you kindly to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on our social media platforms, such as Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, uh, and across our listening platforms as well, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, it, it really helps us and, and we we'd, would be really grateful. Thanks very much, guys. And so today's episode, we are very honored to introduce to you another member of our inner circle, um, our good friend, uh, Andreas. Hey Andreas, how's how are you doing? I'm very good, excited to yeah. be here. Great, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, and we know you've got a lot to share with our listeners. So we, we're looking forward to get into it. Um, and with that, so as we get into it, um, could you give our listeners a little bit of a summary about what you do, who you are and where you're from? Uh, yeah, sure. So my name is Andreas. Good to see everyone. Uh, I was born in Lithuania. Came over to the UK when I was 12. Uh, went to university to study economics. Then after university, completed my CFA, uh, started a graduate job at an investment bank. And I've been there for over eight years now. And I'm currently a securities finance trader uh, in, the, uh, in the front office. Very cool. So you mentioned a lot there, but starting with what you do today, like what does that actually look like day to day? Um, what do your tasks involve? Who do you work with? Do you work alone? Do you work with other people? It'd be good to get. Yeah, so that's that. actually quite a, a big bit of, I've prepped a bit of thought about how to, how best to speak about this by actually, uh, as you know, with some investment banks, there's some of the sort of the, the, the areas where they operate are quite niche. And if people sort of tell you what they do is actually like sort of just nod along and pretend you understand them, you know, there are strategists, quant model modelings and all the other people on the front office at the moment that work with me that I actually don't really fully understand what they actually do. So, you know, I'll give you a bit of background of like sort of what it is that I actually do and sort of break it down into more sort of understanding terms and you know do tell me if i'm sort of going yeah. into too many details but you know i thought the, the board are better and always, you know yeah. can i just say that yeah. along with the listeners i'm going to be learning here because I, <laughs> yeah. I recently took a front office role and i'm i'm in that process yeah. of trying to work out what on earth's going on so yeah i'm, I'm super grateful for yeah, you, so you I'm, I'm, today. i've been here a while i'm still not really sure i'm doing <laughs> uh but yeah so essentially what i do on a trading desk uh being in the front office my main aim is to try and make revenue for on behalf of our clients and the way we do this, we sort of utilize their unutilized assets. So essentially, with that, with that in mind, to sort of break it down, how it actually fits into the whole ecosystem. Uh, so for example, if you, your pension funds, so yours and mine pension funds, uh, by law, they have to have a custodian, which is a specialized security services firm, which offers things like uh, safekeeping, sort of middle office management and just a load of sort of back office features. But essentially in order for your pension fund to hold those assets, they need to have an account and one of these custodians. Uh, so what my team currently does, it's essentially like an add-on to one of these custodians, like an add-on service. And once that pension fund does sign up to our service, what we can do, we can take those assets and do self as we see fit in order to try and make as much money for the pension fund as possible while you know while not interfering with the day-to-day -day business so essentially that's where we kind of fit in uh what just sorry if i can pause there um what kind of clients are you 
instructed by or act on behalf of? Uh, so to be fair, as a big uh, sort of no names, no names, just, just uh, you know examples. <laughs> uh, so mainly to be fair, mainly mutual funds. So you know all European investment funds. So when you go on your platform where you might have an ISO, you've got Hungary's lands as a big example. That's what yep. we use. Uh, you might select a fund and that fund has to have a custodian. So that custodian right. might be with my company. Okay. So once you buy those assets for your ISO, for your pension, those assets might end up at a custodian that then I'm allowed to, well, if they sign up to my add-on service, I'm allowed to then do those assets to see fit in order to make that mutual fund or that pension fund as much money as possible. Because at the end of the day, the, the fund manager of those funds essentially is interested in getting the best possible returns yeah. for the, the clients, i.e. yourselves, if, yeah. if you're holding those funds. And you know, the difference in a lot of these, uh, it could be seen as quite a small difference in terms of what we add in terms of overall growth of the portfolio. However, we could be the difference of you making a top quartile. And if you make the top quarter, we get a lot more inflows. And you know, the, the, that's the way you're kind of ranked as a mutual fund or a pension fund. Uh, so once those assets do come into our world, uh, there's sort of three ways that we uh, actually ended up trading them and making the money. So again, I'm gonna sort of break it down. I hope I haven't missed anything, but I will uh, sort of try to give you as much detail as possible. Uh, so what we firstly do is facilitate client shorts. And again, uh, what, what, what I mean by that, there are funds out there in the market who, for example, are allowed to buy equities and go long, mm -hmm. buy and expect them to go up in price and sell them and go short. So what I do, I then enter into a trade structure whereby I lend this client your securities and they end up shorting those securities at selling them, sorry, mm -hmm. shorting, selling them in the market using my securities to deliver that sale, yeah. expect the price to go down. And if it does go down, they might end up buying it back in the future, delivering it back to me. And obviously they capture a profit if it goes down, whereas we profit irrespective if it goes up and down as long as that trade gets put on. Right. If you see what I mean. So as much from, so you'd ask why a, you know, a pension fund might be interested in doing so. so I'd say it's because they're more interested in you know, covering our pensions, for example. Their, their time horizon is a lot longer. Yeah. Whereas there are funds out there who might try to bet on a shorter term volatility. Mm -hmm. So essentially you're using like, like a really long-term assets in, in order to cover your short-term shorts. Uh, so like I said, that's one area where we, we sort of and, make and money. Just on that, um, for the benefit of myself yeah, sure, and the listeners. So my understanding of that is the, say the pension fund, they're gonna be holding these stocks and bonds for a long period of time because they're looking longer term about making a return for their their customers i.e us as as pension holders um so that we can have a kind of uh, our portfolio grow in, in in size so that when we come to retire we have money to to live off of Absolutely. rather than just leaving it sat there through lending it they get a premium right yes, so, exactly so they exactly get that. paid to lend yes. the um, security and then once they get it back they're no worse off they've just made not money out of holding not, the security um, uh, and so that's exactly that sorry to interrupt uh, and uh, but what they're capable of doing so once we the whole idea behind this is when you sign up to the service your service seamless so we are don't interrupt so if you decide to sell we'll manage our way mm -hmm. we'll find a way for you to get rid of those securities you will never be impacted your day-to-day -day business will never get impacted so as a portfolio manager of those funds you will do as you see fit for the long run mm. but if you do decide to you know sit no securities we then able to take those securities and you know trade them away, and obviously, kind of it, it depends how much you earn based on things like how liquid it is. You know, so if you're trying to, you know, shorter main index security, potentially not going to earn that much, but if you're, you know, shorting a 
mid-cap name in Taiwan, for example, there's a much more bigger premium for that. So, yeah. you know, depends on sort of what markets you trade in. And just, sorry, I'm mindful, it's so easy to go into the jargon. Yes. Security, we're talking about an equity, shares an equity, yes. or, or bonds as well? Uh, depends. I, I, I try to differentiate between yeah. two, but people, like, I, I try to say instrument, like okay. investment instrument to cover them all. Yeah. And security, I, I do bonds, but I, I do equities, but I don't know if that's the right way today. No, no, I, I think, think yeah. you the expert. Way, yeah, yeah that, and that's the thing, like, <clears throat> A lot of our listeners will be listening to this and considering whether this is a um, a, a career that they're potentially interested in going into. And um, so, like, kind of taking a bit of a step back, um, we kind of have a bit of an understanding of, like, what your job entails in terms of theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, when Andreas comes into the office on a morning, right, and let, let's do this and let's split this up into say like, cause you've been there for quite a while now. Yeah. Let's say when you started uh, and then like how that compares with today, you walk into the office, what does your job involve? Obviously you go to your desk, you grab your coffee, you know, you have a little chin wag with some of your colleagues. Um, and then what are some of the key tasks that you're then um, in, you know, instructed to or you begin to, to 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 get involved in. So let's start from like day one, yeah, where someone would start and some of the key things they do. And then today, eight, was it eight years on, yeah. um, you're more experienced, you're doing something completely different. What does your day look like today? Yeah, so to be honest, there I'd say there is obviously a big difference between to when you start to when you're eight years, but because we are such a small training desk, you do kind of tend to do quite similar things. Okay. Just to maybe in bigger scale and more value stuff, but at the end of the day, you do end up dealing with the same clients, doing yep. the same trades, and you know, okay. understand what we do. But I said, if you're probably a starter, just as soon as you start on your desk, your main priority when you start, you know, you, you get in, you run all your sort of macros, any any information that's coming overnight, you gather all that data, you sort of pump out the automated trades, what we call. So put all that trades on a platform where people, where we're happy that our robot prices them correctly. So we're happy to trade those trades automatically without any input from us. So you do like a bunch of analysis. Analysis, well. yeah. So, so yeah. That, that's kind of what's, that's an ongoing process. We kind of do that on a, you know, you build a, a, an algorithm. So there's mm-hmm. quite a lot of IT skills involved. But essentially when you do that, once you, once that's all done, you, you, you get into work and you run your lists, you get them out of the way. And then what you do, essentially you, a lot of time will be spent managing a book. You know, especially as a, as a junior, so you know, dealing with the small issues that might come up, whether it's settlement issues, whether you know it's like rate issues, you know, want to get the better price because there's been some bad news overnight, or uh, you know, managing like you said, if if the fund manager sells the, sh- the shares, you might mm-hmm. want to work out a way how I can keep that trade on while you know still earning money while satisfying the, my clients' needs. All those kind of little things, I'd say that's where the priority would be for someone more junior. You know, dealing with any overnight issues, obviously being on a global desk as soon as. We come in a lot of the time we overlap with asia so sort of picking up yeah yeah, yeah. The last ends of asia and seeing what's co- sort of happened there and maybe yeah and helping that team out and I, I don't know if you had this experience but um i was speaking to a, an md the other day who worked on a trading desk um as a junior and he said initially for the first like few months what he was doing was taking lunch orders or taking coffee oh, orders yeah. because <laughs> i forgot about those days <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he said and we're here to give you <laughs> yeah. all the truth no, because, so because we need to hear the un- unadulterated truth and i've stirred a lot and made a lot of teas in my day but like he he said that he he couldn't understand why am i making tea why am i getting lunch orders and it was broken down to him that if i can't trust you to get lunch orders right i'm not going to trust you with the big trades mm. down the line so yeah. i think it's good to just 
put that in in that like you might have to do things which don't seem like they're related to the job initially but that's part of the building trust to then get to do the more interesting stuff down the line 100 percent, as well as the way we kind of used to view it well, obviously that's what i was told and then um, you kind of do grow up with that kind of attitude is obviously you you might argue your time is more valuable after you know if you're an md you've been there for 20 years mm. your time is more valuable so if you're away from a desk for half an hour 45 minutes you might miss something that's actually adds a lot of value to the mm. firm whereas as a grad or someone who just recently started you i know it's a bad way to look at it it shouldn't be that case but it's the truth in, in terms of like you're the best person to go and do this for us in terms of to, to us save time and we can you know either you know finish our jobs on time today or mm. you know so we're not here for too late and we make sure we don't miss anything on, on the desk. But yes, that's that's the sort of the, the side of the the background I try to sort of just ignore. But no, <laughs> it's, I, I, never I, it's, it's a really he said that by getting the orders right and going around to more senior staff, they're the same people that you can ask the questions to. So you also it serves another purpose and there's another side to it. So it's like a networking aspect. Hundred percent. It's, it's yeah. very much an icebreaker too because. Mm. These some of these people depends what environment um, you're in. And to be fair, I was lucky. What the investment bank I'm at, it doesn't as much as all bankers have the same reputation. View, reputation. These people are just really nice, but they only they might seem unapproachable because they're so busy. So well, very stressed. And there's very a lot of money on the line. Exactly. So yeah. they're they're just lovely people. Take them out for a drink. Fantastic. You know, really lovely, really nice people. Sometimes on the trading desk environment, they might come across a bit snappy and a bit rude. But yeah, do you just know? They're not like that deep down, but again, that takes some time working out because you don't know who's like why, because everyone can appear the same. Especially if you're a grad, you come in unexperienced, and you're not really used to people talking to you in that you know passive aggressive way, in aggressive tones. It, it almost is <laughs> aggressive. It's, it's, yeah, just yeah. Kind of, direct, just like, yeah, direct, very, very direct, direct yeah. and assertive. But then again, like the, um, what you said, I know it seems like such a simple thing, but that breaks a lot of ice. You know, you go to these mm. senior people, you you know chat. It's a simple thing to do because otherwise, yeah. your if your jobs don't overlap, realistically, these senior people might not ever speak to you mm. for yeah, whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They just don't have the time. Obviously, they, they exactly. do try to. They try to be inclusive. Yeah. But Sushi again, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, there's that ice broken next. You know, you might get some more work from them. You might help yeah. them out and, you know, might get introduced to a different team. Mm. And all of a sudden, that's how you kind of learn how to deal with different people. Yeah. And okay. as much as I'm not very good at the sport talk, but you do have to get much better at in that environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of be outside that the John? Milk, five sugars, yeah, <laughs> we go again. Um, can I ask you like a really um, naive question, right? Because I, I'm i not particularly experienced or know a great deal about, about this um, industry itself. Um, what, like people would have watched Wolf of Wall Street, you know, and it's all go, 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 buy, 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 sell, 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 all that kind of stuff. But you, you talk about the trading desk. What's the difference between the trading desk and the trading floor? Uh, so, uh, sorry, so, so, so to explain that. So trading floor is the whole floor where all the traders sit. Right. But we'll say the trading desk we call a particular team. So whatever okay. is the product or whatever is the service that you do, you might be a trading desk in, right. in that particular product. So essentially all these desks, I don't know why I came across that way, but they all sit on the same floor. So, okay. one, one so it's like floor. it's a team. It's a team within, a within a trading or, floor. Exactly. That. Yeah. Yes. Got so it. That's what got it. No, lingo. nice. And again, lingo. Nice. Concept, I like that. But, um, and in terms but of did, sorry, sorry to interrupt. You did sorry. say about being a Wolf of Wall Street. It's nothing like that. It's a lot. It's a lot calmer. It's a lot nicer. People, yeah. like I said, people are great. And so I, I did some work experience at stockbrokers. It wasn't like the Wolf of Wall Street, but I could understand <laughs> aspects of that film because of the the atmosphere. Um, what I've seen in finance is very different. But yeah, I, I think. And maybe I'm a sure while I'm back when you did it, yeah, yeah, maybe that times of things yeah. we've done that has very much been from my stamped experience out, stamped yeah. out by yeah. at all levels, you know, yeah, very yeah. much all big banks. So that's very much a. Um, how about 
your working hours, the culture within, you know, some sort of moving on to that, what's mm. been stamped out and stuff, but like the culture that you work in, your, your working hours, um, perhaps sort of like the diversity of the trading floor mm -hmm. or your desk, um, you know, like uh, how does that look? Uh, so the working hours, to be fair, they haven't really changed since I've been there. It's always been realistically for us, it's seven to six, pretty much. Okay. Standard, you know, luckily if you dipped, I'd say with times with, you know, COVID happening and with all of that, I'd say there's obviously more flexibility in what mm -hmm. you can and can't do. And, you know, people are more understanding that you might have whether it's family commitments or, you know, even going to the gym okay. but as long as, so now all of that is managed on, on the desk level, mm -hmm. but the working hours haven't really changed at all. Okay. Uh, we do try, I'd say when I first started again, because I came into a while ago, so the environment was still changing. So when I came in, it's still very much, you don't really leave your desk, you know, you just mm -hmm. get it at seven, go to the, a break whenever you want one, you know, the toilet break. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much it. And go to get everyone lunch and you don't, you don't that's, 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 that was the environment. Whereas now we do try to kind of change people's mindset, especially because you can't really change what people want seeing. You try to sort of do it with the, the, the more juniors coming in. Uh, so, you know, try to be given more the flexibility, not too much. They obviously need to be very good at what they do, improving yeah. themselves. But once they sort of do get to that stage, you do try, do try to be more understanding and, you know, allow them that flexibility of good. Okay. You know, just and is that quite common across the industry or uh, is that something very, for very, like very your varied. employer? It's extremely varied. I'd say it's more yeah. like the, the team dependent because uh, like then whoever funds that trading team, it's, okay. it's almost up to them. Yeah. Because if they think the team's performing, they don't really mind if the team's, you know, working home three days a week or they're in the office two days a week or if they have, they have five days or, you know, what the flexibility is all managed yeah. by our organisation anyway. I can't speak to everyone else's. But I do know from speaking to people on the street, on the street or other banks, is that they are, they can be very, very still strict, very sort of old school approach. Right. Which, you know, that that's why I've been, you know, that's why it's a great place to work. Right? Considering what we do, you do have a fair amount of flexibility. And what regions do you typically cover then uh so I'll cover to kind of have that working structure do you cross over much with like u.s stock uh, markets, so u.s Asia? stock market, obviously we cross over ours but we don't really do because we've got it's a u.s investment bank so they're right very, we've got very good presence in u.s so we never okay. really touch any of their stuff unless there's an issue that you know out of their hours that somehow before they get in we try and assist but mainly would be sort of just european most european markets and apac so APAC, you know, okay. the, um, asian asian markets because we've got quite a small presence and if someone's out or you know if there's a very big deal going on that you know what we want to be aware of then that's where we'd, we'd we'd sort of yeah step in and help nice so just bringing it back to what it looks like day to day so from what i understand you essentially provide a custodian relationship to mutual funds and pension funds uh, so i don't do that so don't. that's what that's so that's what i was kind of trying oh, to give, give a give a bit more background so that's what that's how what, what my team's attached to essentially but mm. we don't as obviously as a big bank we do but again a big bank employs 100,000 people there's so many different teams so that's i'm not responsible for that whatsoever as i'm essentially responsible of driving revenue for those clients uh, while you know mitigating any potential risk within internal risk, risk policies uh, so yeah just sort of cut to cut back from that I'll sort of give another couple of examples I say they're a bit more interesting because obviously covering shorts is the biggest of our volume but then you know it's the driest the, the, the robot can almost do it like mm. we don't really get touch that stuff that much uh, I, I would say a much more interesting side would be with uh, the corporate uh, actions optimization as an example you know where, where we really get this the riskiest but definitely the most enjoyable side of the business so 
you know, like I said, so now I'm more senior, I'd come into the, come into work and my job would be potentially to look any news like the companies might have announced, whether, you know, corporate uh, corporate action. So there's, you know, anything that a company essentially does is a corporate action, whether that's a rights okay. issue, stock splits or anything else. Uh, a lot of these corporate actions do have value in them, especially if there's optionality. So for example, again, I'm not going to go into too much details, but when there's a rights issue, so a company mm-hmm. has a rights issue, uh, like especially during COVID, a lot of airlines announced a rights issue because they needed to raise extra cash because you know they're really struggling with uh, outflows and you know no money's coming in. So that's when a company would announce a rights issue. And what essentially your rights issue is is a company requesting more money from existing shareholders. Uh, the reason there's potentially value in those rights issues is as a you know as a current shareholder, you might not be interested in getting any more shares for a number of reasons. Maybe you just don't see, in this example, airline business to be mm. you know, any good. Uh, maybe you're already at your limit in how many percent you can own of a certain company. Mm. Or maybe your position's too small for you to even action mm-hmm. because it's not really worth your time. Okay. You know. So then what happens is we all take those, what we call inefficient elections, or work out what's the most efficient, or when I say efficient, is there something that's worth the most in a market, for example. And in order to attract these uh, th- these people, these current shareholders, to provide more money, they would have to, you know, they, they price it below the actual market value. So what we then do, we essentially take those inefficient elections, elect whatever is efficient in the market, whether elect, you know, elect the stock, buy the stock, sell it, see what, uh, whatever's the best for our clients, and obviously capture any spread available. The more, that's very much a basic corporate action. Some of them get really convoluted and really tricky to, act out and do take up a lot of time, but they can also be quite rewarding from a a revenue perspective. And obviously at the end of the day, most of our revenue that we make does end up with our clients underlying because at the end of the day, that's their assets we are trading, participating in. So that's something that's very, you know, I'd say it's very interesting part of the job because it's changes daily. It depends what companies announce and what sort of corporate action Mm -hmm. and what is there to do. So that's the area, yeah. So you look at that, Uh, analyze it assess it and then you feed back to your team some of the potential opportunities that may exist exactly that, and yes. then they look at those opportunities uh, well yeah i'd probably still look at that depends again how big the yeah. opportunity and yeah, yeah. split up what markets you know if you cover the same markets or okay. how big the opportunity but and again who's you know someone might be off the desk or whatever reason so yeah uh, so i'd be the one sort of agreeing everything with all the parties you know having a client on the other side who might execute that trade for me and yeah sort of locking in the profit of that particular trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah, some that's quite interesting, takes up a lot of your time, because again, you have to go, you know, from company perspectives, work out what some mm-hmm. of these things means. You know, most of them aren't based in England, it might be a Swedish or a German company, you, know, you need to translate them all. So it is quite interesting. I'd say that's probably one of the more interesting sides of, of, of the trading that we do. And uh, sorry, just to, I know one more, and then I'm, I promise I'll, I'll sort of leave right. it there. It's very uh, interesting, I'm learning about <laughs> So that's uh, the corporate action optimization is, like I said, there's a lot to do, but also, uh, what we call financing trades. So as you know, since you know uh, Lehman's Brothers went under, or that was 2008, which was the financial crisis. So while that caused essentially caused all the regulators to have a long, hard look at all these banks and work out, okay, why, uh, you know, what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? Uh, and essentially, what they've decided to do is, you know, make sure these banks, one among many other things, but you know, one I can actually influence, is have really good, strong capital buffers. But I mean by that is uh, really strong HQLA, what we call so high quality liquid assets. But as you know, for whatever reason, these banks might not own 
that stuff. So what are you trying to do? So the clients that do hold those assets, we enter into what called financing trades. So essentially we provide financing for these banks and whereby they, they'll give us collateral against those really high quality liquid assets. So for example, we give them United States treasuries, which you know are seen as the most, essentially the best asset class. Not, asset. not Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't take Bitcoin's collateral, but I was gonna say some, you know, we might take some Taiwanese equities, some really some questionable, not questionable, but you know, some stuff that's not seen nowhere near as liquid. And obviously the, the further down the curve the collateral is. So, you know, if you do normal equities, I say normal European equities, there might be, you might charge X if you give, you know, Taiwanese equities is completely different in the scale where you do ETFs, you know, you can charge a lot more. Uh, so these trades, again, they take a long, long time to structure. I mean, I'm talking months, you know, there's a lot of legal work involved, risk agreements, all of that stuff with other different banks. But once you do get them over the line, they do tend to stay on for a number of years. Depends, you know, how much demand there is for that sort of financing need. So that's also very interesting. There's obviously a lot of completely different. So one side of it was you have to react instantly and make sure you know you get get the short in. You know you cover that particular security. Whereas this, you know, takes months to build essentially, and you know, it's sort of it's almost like a lot more structured trade. Mm. Okay. So I say that's three areas. And no, no, really interesting, and it sounds quite diverse, um, and, and and like it requires a lot of skills. Like, could you briefly touch upon like what you think the key skills are for mm. your role, and were they things that you? say had naturally or have you like honed them over the years uh yeah so one of them would be definitely attention to detail because like we have to execute trade after trade without making a mistake and a lot of these especially corporate action ones where they are so risky it's very easy to get them wrong right if you don't take them and there is a lot of money on the line that you can lose so and also you know you might do 50 100 trades a day i don't know hypothetically speaking but to make sure you get one right every single time yeah, yeah, for every yeah. penalty there's a fail cost there's a lot of mm. cost involved for everything you do wrong right. and they're very visible and people okay. have very high visibility of you you know they'll sort of bring up in like xyz you did this you know this what what qualifies stuff. as a mistake or a bad trade so anything you know those that don't so as simple know. as you know could be as simple as booked the wrong date you know booked to the wrong counterparty booked uh the wrong price uh you know I support from a corporate action perspective if you don't pass the correct election if you mess up that that's has a much bigger impact but they're harder to do and like i said you're we're really careful with those but more of the sort of just debate bau which is you know business as usual day-to-day -day flow it's just getting the, the simple details wrong that's where okay. it kind of you know and they'll fall over there's a cost that doesn't settle there might be a cost further down the chain so does there's, there's something almost it's like a bouncy check so you you make the trade you made a, a deep exactly. a wrong you've inputted the wrong detail and it Sim like similar to that but then sometimes a cost with it. you can also get cost passed on from the other side who yeah. have to get delivered that trade onwards right but then right, if right, they right. have a co much bigger cost on the other side that cost gets passed on to you because you fail to them so yeah. It gets it, yeah it's very binary isn't it yeah. <laughs> like you've yeah. either got it right or you got it wrong yeah, there's, 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 no, yeah, there's, there's no way out so that's what we attention to details probably the, the, the so weekly meetings are mad yeah, <laughs> it's just they, yeah. everyone's getting called yeah, out pulled up yeah you literally <laughs> get an email as soon as you mess it up you're like this text why you know this is coming off your bonus by the way please don't yeah and any uh, other skills? Like it sounds uh, like you're working quite closely with people. So teamwork. Yes, people very much teamwork. Yeah, I'd say uh, obviously yeah, people skills in general. Just obviously teamwork. Like meeting all the you know different teams. Like managing risk, managing the lawyers. That's just internal. And obviously there's a lot of the external side because we deal with so many other different banks that we actually are involved in going out for a lot of lunches, a lot of dinners, building these relationships with the counterparts that we execute these trades with. We don't just you know we don't just trade with the exchange. We we trade with 
another party and we might, I, I don't know, roughly speaking, we've got 40-ish parties signed up in Europe, so you know, these relationships that do need to keep, maintain, keep maintained. So we'll go out there, you know, speak to them. So there's a lot of client interaction mm. and obviously teamwork within the team. So, and those skills I've definitely had to work on because, you know, I remember when I first came out of uni, like, you know, first of all, except completely different environment, you go to a meeting, you just get sort of chucked in there and you're like, what am I doing? Mm. <laughs> what am I saying? You know, like people skills and you obviously get um, um, sort of taken aback by maybe how senior some people are, like we sort of spoke of off air, like, and you, sh you sh really shouldn't because you can't undervalue your own, undervalue yourself. Yeah. Because you just assume because someone's got a title or someone might, you know, been in the job for eight years, for example, mm. he knows what he's doing, he's much better than me. Absolutely not. You know, you're, you, you're good at what you do and you should have that confidence. So it took me a long time to get that instilled in my own head. Do you know what? I was actually having this conversation um, with my partner the other day about exactly that. And, you know, correct me if I'm maybe taking it down the wrong path. But, um, you know, when we, you know, when you were in the legal industry, like I, I'm a solicitor now myself and like yourself in the finance industry, we're kind of we're in that doer level where we're doing the work. Right. And your skills are incredibly important. And the higher up you climb, the more it becomes a people game, um, particularly when you start getting into management and things like that. And your the skills that you've acquired for the actual doing of the roles become less so important and it becomes a more of a that people skill based game. So it's so like critically important, I think, particularly if you have aspirations to get into management or climb the corporate ladder or, you know, Deve develop those skills early as as important as it is to develop your hard skills in what whatever it is you're doing in this in this case finance and you know analytics and understanding economics all that kind of stuff but develop your personal in and interpersonal skills because as you start climbing they're going to become more and more important absolutely and and just to add to that like uh esther perel one of uh my one favorite. of our icons yeah she, she's <laughs> up there um she says the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships mm. and i think that extends beyond like your kind romantic. Of personal or romantic relationships yeah. and, and even in a working environment often your peers or people more senior than you who might take mentoring roles they can be your most valuable asset right so i think tapping into like kind of human resource um through building genuine relationships can can make your career a far more pleasant experience than trying to do it all by yourself. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, it sounds really good. Um, so just moving on then, um, can I ask you, and can you describe for us how you got into what you do uh, and sort of, you know, your, your key influencers um, who, <laughs> we've got a rogue flag, guys. <laughs> We're like trying to waft it away. <laughs> fourth member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fourth member of the Inner Circle. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so how you got into it, who your key influencers were, and what the mode of entry was into your career. Mm -hmm. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it, know, it yeah. does. Uh, let me know if I'm going off offline here. Uh, but yeah, so the way I got on it, which I thought was the, 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 the path that everyone kind of went on at university, you know, uh, it's essentially roughly work out what you do after you've done your economic degree and then apply to as many grant schemes as you know as there are so okay. uh, and again it's a very much a big mistake uh so yeah applied to this we'll come back to that but i've applied to a grad, uh, many of grad schemes managed to get one that's you know was kind of fit for me which i thought it was but I, if i'm perfectly honest i kind of went for numbers over necessarily quality 
And you know, I might have wasted a lot of time applying for stuff I'm never going to get because I didn't put the extra five or ten percent that it needed to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I went on doing all these exams and you know doing all these numerical tests when realistically I was never going to get it. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't have taken it just because it was kind of there and that was the thing to do. Yeah. And again, that's a very wrong, bad attitude to have. And you know, that's what if you look back, I'm 100% got got it wrong. But yeah, I've got this job in the back office at the time, like a graduate scheme. So, well, you know, you rotate over different seats. Just if I can ask you, for the grad scheme, for people listening, do they have to do something specific at university? If they're interested in going into this, do they have to like study economics or something at uni to be even eligible? Yeah, so I think when I maybe went, or just before you probably did, you brought it was very much a bad subject, you know, very much a quant based. So even economics was almost on the verge of maybe potentially not, you know, they've, Know, want to get as many quantitative analysts as possible but say now especially in, in my place i've definitely noticed that people are hired from all sorts of backgrounds you know very much like even artsy let's say you know uh, degrees oh okay people they, they're almost interested as you know have diversity from you know backgrounds as well as backgrounds from educational backgrounds they don't want people come from the same cloth and have the same ideas you come mm. as an economist come as, as a quantum phys- physician you will probably end up going down the same route you probably won't see the other path you know which they're trying to hire as many different grads from all different backgrounds which and is great does that extend ones. beyond just university grads as well or is it still strictly graduates that they take on uh so actually this is one of the points actually you've looked into and i definitely should mention on this pod so i've never really realized you know because i thought you can only get into a bank you know you do your degree. maybe two years do internship or three years and or what, how long your degree is and go straight into grad scheme but actually again no don't know it was out there so you know great to get get out to your listeners so we actually do that a lot of these banks offer they're almost like internships that we you know like potentially your school leaver so there are loads of different schemes oh like an apprenticeship like apprenticeship almost okay. yes so you know your school leaver they might employ you on the full-time basis you might not you might take a while to get to where you want to go yeah but you know then you might start from the back office and there are some sort of roles there but they also do for school leavers they essentially hire you straight away there was a process where you can you know you can get on these one of these programs and they'll sort of they, you'll, you'll work with them during your summers out of sixth form as well as for university so oh, okay. by the yeah. time you get out of university you essentially worked almost a year or however long that mm. is nine to a year at a big corporation which again like is fantastic for you know building out your overall skills yeah yeah, yeah. skills hard skills one of our guests um his sister charlie um i think she's at university now but before uh, she she got in she i think secured one of these it wasn't in finance i think it was with one of the big four um and they paid for her tuition when she goes to uni each summer she gets paid to, to go and work there for a few weeks and you're essentially almost guaranteed a job after university should you decide and I, I think yeah that's a really good thing to get out there because a lot of people will look at tuition fees nine grand a year and oh, think absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, absolutely like I said it's so big and like maybe you might some people might not be able to afford to go mm. to university yeah, yeah whereas yeah. this is a way to have a great job have yeah. potentially a great career again I said great it all depends on what you're you're after mm-hmm. but then like you said have an opportunity to go to university mm. that could potentially be covered by some of these big corporations mm. and obviously very ve- well invested to first of all getting their name out there and you know providing these career paths for so many people who can't you know they do give back a lot more than I ever thought they would have done mm. you know especially with the change of mind so I would definitely say the first thing you do find out what's out there you know just get your teeth involved into you know, all these schemes and work out what might be right to you I'm not saying you'll find something that's mm-hmm. out there that perfectly fits perfectly but you know if you can build your skills instead of finding a job a summer job 
don't know, doing something it's else. It's experience, I don't, isn't it? Exactly. And particularly like um, if, if you're a, a younger listener, you know, speak to your parents and I think, you know, you can probably assess with them whether you're more of an academic learner based on your present experience in school. Um, and perhaps if you're more of a practical learner, if you excel at like, you know, um, design and tech and, you know, other more like practical type of studies, then maybe an apprenticeship is, is more for you. And I think this kind of almost levels out that stigma as well, right? The stereotype that apprenticeship are just for like skilled trades. Exactly. That it's not, you can go into like a, you know, say professional corporate type of um, career through an apprenticeship as well. So and if almost if, if, you know, to add to that, you probably by the time you get to a graduate, graduate scheme, you're already a step ahead of yeah, steps yeah, ahead exactly. some people. Yeah. All these graduates that come in from all these might be, you know, what seems <clears> great universities. You, if you've done that, you might be, you know, a few steps ahead. So def something definitely to consider. So mindful of time, mm -hmm. that's been really interesting and it's given us a lot to, of food for thought. I don't know if you had Can any Can I just questions? ask one more question, yeah, Andreas? Um, just very briefly, you mentioned you your um, grad scheme involved you being in the back office, whereas now you work in the front office, right? Yeah. What's the difference between the two? Uh, so again, back office essentially people who uh, the, the jobs that you know you do mostly post trade services. So something that you're not essentially a, a revenue making person. You just right. ensure that whoever made that revenue essentially that trade settles, and you know the client confirmation goes out. The, right. The, all sorts of the what we call a back office sort so of you like kind of it's, it's the like services. ops side exactly that's, of that's all that. it is. So that's you guys yes. do the back trades office. you close deals and stuff essentially and then yeah now there yes. are people in the background who like fill in make it actually happen you know yeah, yeah, yeah i'm yeah. just the sort okay. of the face and yeah. actually some people actually do all the really really hard work you know that actually requires so yeah, I, yeah. I, there's no the work that you've done yourself oh absolutely well. and it, yeah you know i can definitely appreciate it's hard and yeah exactly 100 percent. so like again in our company we try to make sure that you know we don't have that any sort of stigma. Like everyone's mm. there to do a job. Everyone's there to, you know, you can be as good as you can on the front of us. Yeah. There is no one there to do the hard work or good yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not something, you know, and it's yeah. not happening. But before we move on to your background quickly, I think it would be good because finance is so, I found <laughs> mysterious, like, and it's unnecessarily complicated. And we often get told, like, this isn't rocket science. It's just the jargon you need to get your head around. So I think what we could perhaps do is link in the show notes to um, just some, like, maybe some articles which might add a bit more kind of color to, to all of this so that if our listeners do have an interest, they can kind of have a, a good place to look in terms of, like, some, some further material on this. But something like Investopedia or exactly. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah it's a great, a great resource. Yeah. But moving on to your background, like, can you just give us an insight into your educational experience? Like, did you go to a private school, state school, and yeah, like what your your familial background was like? Yeah, so, uh, well, I was I was born in Lithuania, like I sort of covered earlier, up to a uh, a maths teacher and a footballer, and I definitely got more of my mum's genes because I'm <laughs> terrible at football. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and they sort of relocated to the UK when I was twelve. Uh, so we, we I got put into a secondary school, a state secondary school. Um, halfway through year seven without actually speaking um, much English. So that was a wow. quite a tricky, tricky, you know, situation to be in. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was, a, the, when I first came over, it sort of started at a relatively good school in Lithuania, came here, and it was not just a culture shock, you know, don't really speak the language, you know, the, the lessons aren't really the same, the people aren't really the same. So it took me a while to adjust, sort of learn the language, and, you know, they the, the put me in the, the bottom set for most things I did. Just I don't know on assumption, you know, I can be speaking English, so wouldn't be very good at them. So it did take me a while to progress through that, for those, you know, school years, and to sort of like learn a language, you know, 
learn how to interact because you know kids at that age aren't yeah, always yeah, the nicest yeah. yeah so it does you know does take a while to adjust but you know the way i look at it now it sort of it builds character it builds of sort of who you are and gets to you know the, the makes you more resilient i suppose makes you more comfortable in these mm. uncomfortable situations that you might have found yourself in the past so if you fight do that again you kind of look okay i know how to deal with whatever is in front of me uh so yeah it was uh quite tricky to start with but like i said i'm only taking the positives out of it so you know it worked out really well for me yeah 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 uh and yeah, so after that, just sort of went on to sixth form and, and, and university. Just sorry on that, because I, I don't know if it'll be clear to our listeners. Am I, I right in understanding that in six years, you've gone from not speaking English, moved to another country, to getting into a Russell Group University, doing your economics degree, and then securing a role at a prestigious investment uh, bank? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> nuts. That's well, nuts. it was, like I said, yeah. like, I, 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 you know, I had very uh, sort of, committed parents who you know gave me a fantastic foundation like I said I was a math teacher she was never very pushy in terms of where to go what to do uh, but they very much instilled in me from a young age that whatever it is you do you need to do it to well uh, well and a good standard just apply <laughs> yeah. yourself yeah if it doesn't yeah, work yeah. it doesn't work but just do it you know as in yeah if you set, set your mind to it you can't really back out when you have to commit and uh, like I'll, I'll just yeah second what Alex said there it's super commendable to your parents, like, you know, huge respect to them. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard from you really great things about your siblings as well, you know, smashing it, you're smashing it. So, you know, we're, we're really happy for you. And your story really resonates with me. And when we got to know each other better as well, you know, for those that have listened to my episode on, on our podcast, you know, you'll, you'll hear that we've got quite similar backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, move from Ukraine, didn't speak English, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and something that is is um, quite similar across those, I, I, well, I guess, you know, I'd say our cultures is probably quite common amongst, amongst um, kind of like immigrant culture, I would say, is that, you know, our parents move us, if, you know, across the world or to another country where they, they're kind of reborn themselves and they have to start life again. Um, and I guess their one of their sort of key requests from us is that we just make the most of the opportunity. Exactly that. And I think you know, with their guidance um, and them as our sort of like foundation, um, they give us those opportunities. So you know, good on you and and your brother for for taking that that opportunity and and you know running with it. Um, you came at like a later stage to me, um, so. I had it a little bit easier because I went to primary school, kids are a little bit more welcoming. Mm -hmm. You went into secondary school, that's really tough, man. <laughs> like with no language, it's 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 nuts. So so well done and congratulations, man. Just but like I said, almost it goes to my parents and you know, mm -hmm. having a very good, stable sort of family, like yeah, yeah. brother who's always supportive, always there. Like I said, he's probably my uh biggest role model in terms of when I was young anyway, you know. Yeah. He, he's the one that sort of broke barriers in a way, our kind of barriers. Paved and the we way. Paved the way and we yeah. we followed through, you know. So uh, had some, you know. Shout out to him. Shout out to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll get him on oh, at some point. <laughs> Probably better, better stories than I got to say. So you, you described a very busy working life, um, and just out of interest, do you find the time to kind of give back? And if so, like, why is it important to you, and, and what what means do you do so by? Uh, I I try to, if I'm honest, yeah. Like, it's something that can definitely improve because you do get sort of engrossed in your own life, and again, that's you know a fault of my own you know i do i should do more but i would do try to do especially with the banks banks do give back a lot of where, where i work and they've, they've supporting they've been supporting a, a main charity i think is gosh we've got a great ormond street hospital so we do we know we we go in there we sort of help them out 
do induction days, uh, you know, run half marathons, do all these cycling events for mainly that charity. So I do try to do a little bit, but again, I know it's nowhere near enough of what, you know, what I should be doing or what all, all of us should be doing, you know, because there are so many great causes out there and, you know, you just need to, you know, I say, you know, just basically do as much as you can for all of them. Yeah, nice. Um, just, I guess, we're not going back into too much detail on, on your career, but if you could give a piece of advice to someone going into or thinking about going into the profession that you work in now or, you know, investment, banking, um, finance industry generally, what's some of the, like, key advice you would give them looking back? Uh, so there's probably two. So one, don't do as much. Just do it better, you know. Don't worry about those applications, send in 60 of them. Do okay. 10, but do them perfectly. Quality them over quality, quantity. Exactly. I wasn't like that. And, you know, that's where I maybe took longer to get where I wanted to. Mm. So that's very much one of them. And probably at that time, don't really listen to what other people say. Do what's right for you. Because mm -hmm. it's very easy to get bogged down into X, Y, and Z is applied here. You know, I need to follow the same. I might not even want to do it, but, you know, there's these other social pressures and you yeah. very much take too much down board so you know you need to follow what's right for you but at the same time social pressures are good because sometimes they push you push you in the right direction so yeah maybe that you find the right balance yeah and is this something that you always kind of had a keen interest in or if you could go back and do it all again would there be something else that you would potentially <laughs> get into yeah so again followed my brother's footsteps not they were wrong worked out really well but looking back at it it's, it's, it's way too theoretical for me uh, you know, if I could have gone back, I probably definitely would have studied engineering or physics. Both so something still that's quite mathematically based. So it's very mathematically based, yeah. but something with a lot more real world application. Okay. Whether, you know, you can compare that to a bunch of other jobs out there that could probably, if you compare it to an investment bank, you can probably get to quite a high level of a particular career, whether that's engineering on, I don't know, planes, cars or whatever, you know, working on whatever physics projects there is potentially interesting opportunities i don't know i've never explored them and you know there's still time i don't want to close myself off completely mm -hmm. but that's something i always sort of had a back of my mind if i didn't follow necessarily the trend or what everyone went into doing mm. and actually worked out what i'm good at and what i can actually do that's what you know so maybe what i'd recommend to listeners you know take a step back and be like don't necessarily follow the crowd what do you yeah. want to do it might be something similar you're still at the same uni you know still get to see very much the same lifestyle but you might end up doing something that's more applicable to your own personal skills or interests. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Be the main character in your own movie. Exactly yeah. that, which is exactly. easier said than done, a lot easier said than done, I'd say, especially, you know, if you're in your sort of late teenage years. 100%. Ah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And let's just jump onto a really fashionable topic, uh, just very briefly. Uh, side hustles. Uh, do you have a side hustle? Do you do something in your spare time to... Um, you know, leverage your knowledge and experience or maybe something that's more of like a, an interest? Uh, so it's the only side hustle I'll probably do, which is pretty much more work, is probably just, just investing on the side of my own personal money. Okay. And which again, I, I, I'm quite conservative. Take it, take it, you know, easy, have a long-term horizon, you know, stocks and bonds. So I spend a lot of time understanding all the other products that's out there. So I'm quite, what was that, really? passionate but you know interested in it and you know it makes you money because that's what something i'm good at so mm -hmm. why when i go into um, an area i don't really know much about and trying to make yeah. something out of it there when i've yeah, yeah. got a bit more than most so yeah i'll definitely like i said again to your listeners definitely you know people should 
be more literate when it comes to finance, mm-hmm. you know, understand your own personal finance. Uh, but what I do want to sort of shout out uh, to a lot of people is, you know, uh, to be very, very careful because, you know, there's a lot of trends, TikToks, Snapchats, Instagram stories. Everyone's getting very rich. Very Cryptos. Quickly. Cryptos. Look yeah. what happened there. I mean, yeah. again. And we might get clipped up here yeah. and blasted in, in five years time. <laughs> no, but, it's, it's um, not necessarily that. If like, you cri- invested at 50K. No, but again, if you invest at 50K, mad. it dropped down to 20 or, you know, you invest yeah. five, you still got to. But the issue, what I want to highlight is obviously the leverage. Mm. You know, people using leverage without mm. understanding how it really works, how much margin. So, when it can you just define leverage for us? So, leverage essentially when you borrow money mm-hmm. and enter the same trade. So, for example, I, I know these crypto, uh, you know, platforms offer leverage of up to 125 times. <laughs> so, if you invest a thousand pound, your exposure can be 125. I know you need to be an experienced investor, but for example, someone who's starting off, they might get 25 to 50 terms of leverage. Yeah. So you're buying a thousand pounds worth of Bitcoin, you can actually invest in 50, which might seem great. It goes up mm. 10%, you know, mm. your returns yeah, are so much yeah. better. However, you get essentially wiped out when it goes the other way. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't have that kind of margin in your account, you literally, your trade gets closed out as soon as it drops. With oh, how, really? Okay. With how well, okay. And then, so your crypto goes from 50 to 20, you might have 20 left, whatever, hypothetically speaking. But if you use too much leverage and not yeah. enough margin in the background, that happens and your 50,000 investment is worth zero. Yeah. Because it got closed out at whatever the price is, wherever you didn't have enough margin. Yeah. Because people, especially over the last two years, expected stuff just to go up. Everything yeah. goes up, nothing ever comes down. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if, look, everyone's making money around me. This, you know, these are the trends. Let's sign up to, you know, whatever the platform is and just use leverage. I'd yeah. say be very, invest, go out there, you know, be mindful of what you do, you know, spread it around, all great crypto. You know, there's time and a place. As a percentage, just be very, very careful with leverage until you fully understand and until you can hedge yourself. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's my one. Only Big ever one. invest as much as you're exactly. able to lose. Yeah, and yeah. and this isn't investment advice, so yeah, please don't sue us. It's absolutely not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, that is an interesting topic. And I think we'll, we'll at some point get you on to talk more on personal finance. Mm-hmm. Um, we can maybe break down like different ices and how yeah, people can use I mean, those to, more than happy to help, leverage yeah. you know their own money um to to create um a bit of a cushion mm-hmm. for safely leverage safely leverage maybe you know a lot more conservatively yes. um and um you know maybe look at we can, we can potentially get buyer back on and look at some of the more less Ooh. conventional types of we could have a little debate there yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um so no that's really useful and and some some great great information um before we close out, we like to uh, ask our listeners a couple of questions. Um, so um, I'll kick this off. Um, the best piece of advice received and the biggest life lesson you would have learned um, or you have learned that you'd give your 18-year-old self. Uh, so, the best so best piece of advice and the biggest life lesson you learned that you'd give to your 18-year-old self. Uh, so best piece of advice I'd say I'd have to go with actually this one I came across recently is uh, to treat your problems as if they're your best friend's problems. So in terms of you're, you're nowhere near as harsh yeah, like and a lot more supportive. Whereas you're like, yeah. I know that to myself. I'm, I'm, you know, very critical. Most people, are yeah, 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 yeah. Criticize, you know, they're just focused on the bad. If your friend has the same problem, you're a lot more relaxed. You're a lot more complimentary. You treat them with a lot more care. So you never get yourself in these deep dark holes that mm. people, you know, can experience. So that's definitely something I've learned recently. We just on that we also don't give ourselves the same advice that we would give someone else and i, I once no. had a you know a personal dilemma and i went to a friend and and you know explained the situation and 
Uh, and he, he said to me, well, if you, if I was telling this, you this story, uh, what advice would you give me? And like, you've got that gut feeling, that intuition, you know what the advice is. You just don't, don't want to tell that to exactly. yourself. And I think we can be, we can all be a little bit more honest with ourselves. hundred percent. It's one of my, um, that's a really good bit of advice and I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Um, there's a, one of Jordan Peterson's chapters in 12 rules for life is you should treat yourself like somebody that you're responsible for. Yeah. yeah. So simple, but a lot of people don't do it. I, I know I certainly don't at times. That's quite similar in terms of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind exactly of, the same. Yeah. Um, and I, I think another tool in that respect, rather than just thinking about it, write out the thing that you're thinking about and ask yourself if, yeah, a friend was telling you this, knowing all that you knew, what would you tell them? And, and that's probably mm. the best way to go. Um, but You'll I, soon find the answer. So to be fair, that was going to be my, you know, what what advice that, you know, I could tell my 18 self because, you know, you start worrying about most in, at the moment in the grand scheme of things. Point is, you spend so much time and energy wherever it's worrying about the thing, the way you, mm. whatever it is. So, no, I said, I found it, you know, don't do it as much anymore, maybe. But writing stuff out and looking at it, maybe writing stuff out, we're not feeling on that such a high, you know. Mm. And then look back at it later and be like, why am I so worried about these irrelevant things? But, you know, I did great. I'm actually quite good at what I do and, you know, have more confidence in your own ability, I suppose. Amazing. And um, just to wrap up then, any podcasts or books that you've listened to which have been particularly like, kind of influential that you think would our, our listeners would benefit from reading or listening to? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't Including say... Including Hard Work Beats Talent, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really say they're all from, all from a professional perspective. I uh, don't really... Not necessarily, I don't know. I suppose they all... Uh, come come under one but from a personal perspective it's a great like free economics i found it, it's a great place to start you know there is uh, essentially covers most economic theory and how it applies to you know each world situation and especially current covers all the current events really interesting you know if you're interested in that kind of stuff give it a go and also i say all the you know the, the high performance podcasts the diary ceo all the ones that kind of have really high caliber individuals on and I usually find that I'm just interested in, you know, the way they're wired, the way the brain works, you know, uh, what drives them, you know, and there's normally one or two really good takeaways from them. So that's what I kind of do on, the, on, on, you know, on, on my commutes most of the time or when mm. I'm exercising or whatever. And book, book might be a bit tricky. I'd say <laughs> the one I'm really good. And again, there's a lot of takeaways from that one, but A Promised Land by Barack Obama, I found that fascinating. Mm. That's a really good book. There's a lot to learn in his approach. He gives sort of, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Again, read it for yourself. It is quite long, but I think the reason I liked it more because I didn't really. I did an audio book, oh, and he narrates it. Oh, no, nice. that voice! Exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think that's why. That if I'm honest, I, my mum bought me that book, and I, I maybe got about like the seventh of the way through it. Yeah, I heard it's a tough read. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is a tough read. Yeah, I've got. But that. Again, the only reason I did is, like I said, an audio book, and you know that man just sounds yeah. fantastic <laughs> turn to butter <laughs> um amazing well listen andreas thank you so much for joining us today um you really gave us uh, a few gems and um broke down the financial uh, profession uh, banking um i certainly learned a lot about it um i didn't know anything about it and and i definitely have have a, a better understanding of it now and i'm sure our listeners will too um alex any closing words no, I just want to echo your your comments. I think, like, I'm a student to to finance. I, I only joined a couple of months ago, and yeah, really good to kind of hear about from someone so experienced. And yeah, I, I've really had enjoyed having you on, and yeah, look forward to continuing this conversation externally as well. 
absolutely thanks guys it's been it's been a pleasure great so guys thank you so much for listening and joining us on today's episode um can we please please ask you to subscribe follow and most importantly listen um it's hard work beats talent podcast on all the platforms youtube spotify google apple uh, we're on instagram twitter and linkedin as well um you got any comments feedback give us a shout till the next one peace out <laughs>